Anyway, we're just really glad that you're here. I'm super excited to be able to share from God's Word with you today. Those of you who've been hanging out with us for a couple of weeks know that we're in a series called Between Two Storms as we go through a section of the Gospel of Mark. We've titled this Between Two Storms because the section that we've chosen is kind of bookended by one story about Jesus in a storm and another story about Jesus in a storm, so it's like kind of literal. But in a less literal way, uh, we think that these stories show encounters with Jesus Jesus that demonstrate that in life we're all caught between two storms, to be paralyzed by fear or to be propelled by faith. Um, I don't know about you, but that or in that sentence, for me, should be replaced with an and. I feel like I'm constantly paralyzed by fear and propelled by faith at the same time. These two storms don't exist separately for me. It's not fear over here and faith over here with some divide in between. It's like fear and faith right on top of each other constantly. Basically, I'm a mixed bag of feelings. I'm a mixed bag of everything, to be honest. I've got a lot of like random interests. Lately, I'm really interested in like Scandinavia and some surrounding regions for super random reasons. I spend time, my free time, planning imaginary trips that I don't have the money or <laughs> time off to take. But I'm really interested in Iceland in particular. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Iceland sits on top of uh, a place where two tectonic plates meet, the North American tectonic plate and the Eurasian tectonic plate. So there's a rift down the entire center of the island um, because these plates are moving, not just like moving, moving, like moving away from each other. As I speak, Iceland is literally being pulled apart by the movement of these plates. Um, like every year, a few centimeters, the island is literally like pulled apart. There's a rift down the entire center. Um, but one of the things that's really exciting and interesting about this is that it's not just being pulled apart, but it's growing too. So as Iceland is being pulled apart, uh, magma from volcanoes that are really active there fill in the rifts in the land, and then subterranean water sources fill in the rivers that are widening along that rift. So Iceland is pulled apart but growing at the same time. I find this really fascinating because this is me. I'm often pulled apart by fear but growing in faith at the same time. That in between two storms, I'm caught with fear and faith right on top of each other and that it's in this intermingling that I see the growth of God in my life. I don't know if you can relate to that, but um, this is me. I'm Iceland. I see this in our passage today, too. I see people encountering Jesus in this crazy mixture of fear and faith all at the same time. Um, we're picking up where we left off, where Jesus has come back across the lake from uh, visiting the other side, where he healed a man who was possessive demon. So as he comes back across the lake, we encounter two people who seek healing from Jesus. There's um, a man who is desperate to save the one thing in the world he cares about most, his little daughter who's about to die. Um, he comes to Jesus in this mixture of fear and faith saying, only you can make her well, please, please make her well. Um, and in the middle of that, he gets the worst news possible that what he's feared has already happened, she's already died. And yet, Jesus does the unimaginable and faith comes flooding back in at the end. Um, the next person we encounter in this mixture of fear and faith is a sick woman, someone who's been in chronic pain for most of her life, and she approaches Jesus in fear and trembling, but still in the midst of fear and trembling, knowing that Jesus is the only one who can make her whole. So faith and fear all mixed in together. 
Um, the passage for today is a, is a long one, but it's got like that one story kind of folded inside another story. It's a technique that the author Mark uses to show how they belong together and illuminate each other. So I know it's a long passage. Hang with me, though, and we'll uh, read it through together. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark 5. We'll take the second half of the chapter, verses 21 through 43. I know, long passage, but you can do it. Stick with me. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there and follow along. It's also on the back of your bulletin and should be on the screen, so you have all the options of following along. Here we go. Let me pray really quick before we dive into the word. Gracious God, we've come to meet to you today. Um, We ask that you speak to us through your word, that you open our hearts and minds to receive what you might be saying to us today. We're listening. It's in your name. Amen. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, long passage. Thanks for hanging with me. There's a lot going on here. There's a couple of things that I want us to do today. Um, As Christians, we believe that the Jesus that we're reading about here in the word of God is alive and active and among us today. So the invitation is always, where do we find ourselves in the story so that we can respond um, to Jesus here and now, right? So uh, there's like five separate perspectives represented in the story that I want us to zoom in and take a look at um, and then answer and reflect on some questions that I think that they pose to us. So it's a little bit about where we're going. You with me? Yeah, Yeah, great. Okay. 
Um, the first place I want us to look is uh, the perspective of the crowd, uh, just because, one, it's the beginning. It's the first perspective that we see there. Um, it's the subject of the first sentence. Okay, if you don't know this about me now, here it is. I'm a words person. Yay, grammar. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, but this, <laughs> this is the subject of the very first sentence that we see, a large crowd gathered around Jesus. The Greek word that's translated gathered here can often um, in other places be translated like pressed or um, or squeezed. Uh, it's a, a word that's used about like armies surrounding a city and besieging it, like pressed in on all sides. It's uh, the word that's used when a boat like has to go through a really suddenly narrow pathway of water. It's like squeezed on all sides. Um, I read the passage in lots of other versions just because different turns of phrases conjure up different images for me. The King James is hilarious here. It says, um, much people, like a silly internet meme. So crowd, much people. (laughs) It's it's, like the point is there's a lot of people pressing in, people on people on people. And the point that Mark is making is to get us to see that the touch of this crowd, everyone touching Jesus, everyone touching everyone, is different from the touch that this woman gives to Jesus when she comes up behind him and touches his clothes. Um, And the reason why I want us to zoom in on the crowd is like, okay, we get it. There's a lot of people. But of so many people, they're all onlookers. They're not participants. They're just watching. They're following in mass. They're just hanging out. Guess this Jesus guy is kind of cool. Let's see what he does, right? But nobody is participating except for these two other people, Jairus and then the woman who's bleeding. Um, And this is deeply troubling to me because, well, mostly it's convicting, I suppose. Um, This is where I can find myself in this story, um, far from God, um, but surrounded by Jesus' stuff and Jesus' people, right? Um, I'm working part-time in a church. I'm going to seminary. I want to be a pastor. I'm around Jesus stuff and Jesus people all the time, and I'm like deeply concerned that I'll wake up one day and realize I'm surrounded by Jesus but not actually experiencing Jesus. Because here this perspective shows me that we can be um, around Jesus but not near Jesus. We can be in contact with Jesus but not connecting with Jesus. That experiencing Jesus's proximity doesn't mean we're experiencing Jesus's power. Experiencing Jesus's proximity doesn't mean we're experiencing Jesus's power. Um, I don't know if you found yourself here as well, um, but if, if this is where we find ourselves in the story, the question that I want us to pause and reflect on and ask together would be, where are you longing to experience the power of Jesus? Where are you longing to experience the power of Jesus? Because the truth is the power of Jesus is here. It's available. It's offered. Um, Where are we longing to experience the power of Jesus? One of the ways that we remain part of the crowd where we don't experience the power of Jesus, we're just in the press, this like massive onlookers not participating, is because we can um, sometimes, I think, self-select out. We say, my problems aren't that important, they're not that big of a deal, or they're like, they're too big, I'm too far gone, like it's just not worth it. It's not, worthing, it's not worth being like in the crowd, being in the press and moving through. It's just not worth it, I'm not worth it. Um, enter the bleeding woman. I think that this could have been the perspective that she might have come from, and yet she responds differently. 
She's been uh, suffering from a disease for 12 years. She's been probably in chronic pain um, for a very long time. Um, she's been in a state of ritual uncleanness. Uh, the Jewish culture had really strict laws about keeping things clean and healthy in the community, like sanitary. It's very important to the like, health and well-being of the community. So she would have been considered unclean. She wouldn't have been allowed to go to the synagogue, which is where the community met with God and with each other. So she was shut off, like, cut off and shut down from worship and from community. Um, I can imagine that she might have felt shut down herself, right? I can imagine that it would have been tempting to buy into the messages all around her. You're not whole, you're not wanted, you're not welcome, you're not worth it. But Jesus doesn't respond to her this way at all. This is not how Jesus responds to her. In fact, in this moment, this woman is uh, given a really intimate connection with Jesus. Mark only uses the word for suffering three times in the gospel. Um, Once to talk about this woman who had suffered much, and twice from Jesus' own mouth says, I must suffer and die, right? Uh, The point is that Jesus has deep compassion and a deep connection with people who are suffering. This woman is not discounted. Um, She moves through the crowd, a place that's got to, like, this has got to be a really terrifying moment for her. If she has been unclean for so long, like, she's been avoiding public contact for 12 years, right? It's got to be really crazy to be in this people-on-people-on-people kind of crowd. She's got to be afraid of what people will think of her when they find out that what she's done, that she's, like, violating the customs of her time and her her culture. Um, But here's the thing, she moves forward anyway. Um, And I want us to pay attention. You don't really notice it in the English translation, but the way she's introduced in the Greek is this like string of introductory kinds of phrases. It reads sort of like this. Um, Being in a flow of blood for 12 years, having suffered much, having spent all she had, having not been bettered, having grown worse, having heard about Jesus, having gone into the crowd, then finally she touched right? The point is she's defined by this action she's taking in the present moment, not by all that backstory of who she was, what she's suffering from, everything she did to be cured. What she's defined by is taking steps to move forward and touch Jesus, right? That this is how Jesus responds to her, that in the midst of her fear, she is propelled forward by faith, and that's what defines her, that moment of moving forward to touch Jesus. Um, She doesn't dare approach face to face and explain her plight the way like Jairus can. I imagine she's embarrassed. It's just like not possible for her, but she believes that Jesus can heal her so much that she believes all she needs to do is touch his cloak. What um, some scholars have said is like what she's doing in this action demonstrates that she believes Jesus is the Messiah, the one the prophets have talked about. The prophet Malachi says, uh, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Basically, she's saying, I'm moving forward, reaching out because I know that you are the one who can't just make me better, but can make everything right, that can put everything to right. And so she does it. She reaches out and she touches Jesus' cloak and she feels that instantly she's been freed from her suffering. She stops being sick. Um, The interesting thing here is that Jesus calls her out, Um, not because he's angry or frustrated or upset or surprised or any of those things, but because he wants to see her. He wants to connect with her. He wants to have um, this this connection with her, the connection that she's been afraid to ask for. The thing that I see here is that being afraid doesn't disqualify us from approaching Jesus. Uh, Being afraid doesn't disqualify us from approaching Jesus. She was so afraid that all that she could do was reach up from behind and sort of sneak in the crowd and hope no one would notice. And yet, 
Even in spite of her fear, Jesus calls her out and gives her the opportunity to connect um, that she like, was afraid to ask for for herself. Fear doesn't disqualify us, so it shouldn't inhibit us. Sometimes we can't just wait until we stop being afraid to move forward and, and connect with Jesus. Sometimes we just have to take one step at a time and move forward in the midst of fear and faith. Where I want to pause and, uh, and ask a question here, if you find yourself identifying with the bleeding woman, if this is where you find yourself in the story, the question I want to ask is, what are you afraid to approach Jesus with? What are the places that you might be afraid to bring to Jesus? Another reason why we might find ourselves like hanging back in the crowd and still not experiencing the power of Jesus the way other people might be, or like why we keep ourselves sort of hanging back, is that um, we might self-select out because we think we've got it all together. We're competent, we've got the resources, we know how to move forward. It might be tough, but we can handle it. Enter Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. He's a leader. He has the resources to get anything that he needs. Um, He's used to taking care of himself and of other people. And yet, here, the thing that is most precious to him, his little daughter, is dying. She's dying and it's killing him because he can't do anything about it. He's sought medical attention. He's done everything he can to make her well. And nothing is working. Nothing has happened. And he's desperate. He's desperate for her to be made better. So he sees Jesus. The word here means like sees, not just with their eyes, but knows and understands. That guy, that's the dude who can do something. I can't, none of this medicine can, but that dude can. So here it is, all on the table. Like, I don't care, I'm all in. He falls at Jesus's feet and begs repeatedly, right? He's an important, he's an important person. This is an embarrassing position to find himself in, right? To like throw himself on the ground and beg repeatedly for his little daughter. But he doesn't care because he believes that Jesus can do it, right? What's sweet in this moment is Jesus doesn't say anything. Jesus just goes with him. Like this man is obviously in desperate need and so Jesus just goes with him. Jesus doesn't say anything, just goes. Before they get very far, Jesus stops to talk to this woman who's snuck up behind and touched his cloak in the crowd. Um, And if I were Jairus, I would feel a little bit frustrated or anxious, like, come on, like we're running out of time. This is really important, come on. But nobody says anything, um, and Jesus has this moment with this woman, and then they continue on. But again, before they get very far, they receive a message that the worst has happened. your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And I just imagine this hitting Jairus like a ton of bricks. I imagine this grief like too big for words. Like, it's too late. We're too late. I'm too late. It's, it's beyond hope. Like, what is, what is there to do? Nothing can be done anymore. Why bother Jesus? I imagine if I were in that position, I would just be be crushed, be like back on autopilot, wandering home aimlessly. But Jesus still goes with him. Even when other people say, don't bother, like it's over, there's nothing you can do. Jesus goes with him even when others have written him off. Jesus goes with even when written off. And I've, I find this really compelling that Jairus doesn't say anything more, doesn't need to ask for anything more, but Jesus continues to go with him. Um, 
Even when no one thinks he can do anything, Jesus is still there. Um, even when it seems like faith has failed and, and the power of Jesus to do anything for this man and for his daughter, Jesus is still there going with. Here I think we need to stop and ask and reflect, where do we need Jesus to go with us? Where do you need Jesus to go with you? Where do you need Jesus to go with you? Because the promise is that Jesus will, that Jesus is already going with you. Um, Listen to the word of the Lord from the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Where do we need Jesus to go with us? I think is a place where we need to pause. Another reason why we might find ourselves far from Jesus or unable to experience the power of Jesus is we just like can't even get there. Like just not even close, we're not even in the crowd, not even near enough. This is the dead girl. She can't get to Jesus because she is dead. She can't like move toward Jesus because she is dead. Like she can't ask for help because she is dead, right? She can't do any of these things. She's um, she's helpless and hopeless. If we back up her story a little bit to before she's completely dead and she's dying, um, she's 12 years old. Her life is just beginning. In the Hebrew culture of that time, um, right about this time is when they would be thinking about marriage and like her whole life is ahead of her. Um, and it's shut down before it's even begun. Um, her story rings with even more tragedy when we listen to her age alongside the amount of time that the woman has been sick, right? Like, this woman has been bleeding for 12 years, this daughter is 12 years old, and we're like, okay, Mark, we get it. Life is pain. It's tough. Um, her father is doing everything he can to help her and to get her the help and the cure that she needs, but it's, like, not enough. It's not um, going anywhere. There's a brief glimmer of hope when Jairus says, this Jesus guy, This could be something, um, but it's too late. She dies before they get there. Um, The message they receive along the way in Greek is literally, your daughter has become quite dead, which makes me laugh a little bit. Like, is there a word for mostly dead? She's been, like, mostly dead all day? I don't know. In any case, the point is that she is beyond any human hope. She's dead quite seriously and surely. End of story. And yet, with Jesus, death is never the end of the story. It never ends there. Um, Even so, even when people have written Jesus off, even when people have ended the story, even when it's beyond human hope, Jesus still comes. He comes quietly into a room, and he takes her hand. Even when it's beyond human hope, Jesus still takes her hand. And he says to her, the ordinary Aramaic words used to wake up a child from sleep every day. Come on, get up. Get up. And immediately, she does. Immediately, she gets up. Sidebar. Mark is like the apparently kid of the New Testament writers. Immediately this, and immediately that, and at once this, and immediately that. But immediately, Jesus says, (laughs) immediately, this girl gets up, and she's alive alive, restored to life. 
completely restored. As proof that her new life is very, very real, um, she's gone from quite dead to quite alive. Jesus says, give her something to eat. So she's not a zombie, she's not some ghost, she's not some spirit. She's like fully alive, brought from death into life. And I mean, I love that. If Jesus has brought you from death into life, that would make anyone hungry. Like, go get something to eat. Get after it. One of the things I want us to pay attention to this dead girl, if this is where you find yourself in the story, um, far from God, unable to even ask for help or unable to even get close to Jesus, remember that she's not alone. She's got someone speaking for her. She is someone who cares enough about her, who's brought Jesus to her um, in order to take her hand to raise her from death to life. So if this is where you find yourself in the story, I think we need to pause and ask together, where do you need Jesus to take you by the hand? Where do you need Jesus to reach out to you? Sometimes we can't come to Jesus, but Jesus is there. Jesus comes. Where do you need Jesus to reach out and take you by the hand? Uh, Lastly, I want us to focus on Jesus himself the thread that ties all of this together, um, the things that we see from Jesus' perspective as he moves along. Um, The first is that this abundant life that Jesus brings, like this new healing and wholeness he's given to the woman who approaches him from behind, and this new life given to a girl who once was dead, this abundant life is for everyone. It's the point of not just this story, not just this gospel, but the entire Bible, and it's the point of everything that we do here, that Jesus offers new life, and it's for everyone. Um, This is what everyone's asking Jesus for, to be saved, healed, made whole, and this is what Jesus continuously offers to everyone. Your faith has healed you. You've been made whole. Go in peace. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. Um, This go in peace, peace, shalom in the Hebrew context isn't just uh, no conflict. It's um, wholeness and healing and right relationship, the entire goodness of God and the full presence of God. Um, So when Jesus says to this woman, go in peace, he means go, live into that goodness, live into that fullness, live into this brand new life that you've been given, walking in the presence of God. Um, And this is for everyone. Uh, there's enough for everyone. When will we ever learn this? Here in our culture, we, um, we divide our time strategically and give our energy and resources only to those we think are most deserving or whatever. Um, but Jesus doesn't. Everyone is deserving. There's time for everyone. There's grace for everyone. There's always enough with Jesus. There's always enough. Um, there's no tolerance for triage in the kingdom of God. Jesus has time for everyone. Jesus has no tolerance for triage. How many of you know what triage is? You're like, I watch Grey's Anatomy, I know what that is. <laughs> triage is a system of, um, of organizing how to respond to great need, like in the medical profession, if there's a ton of casualties, you rank on, based on urgency, right? You are not critical, so you can wait until like there's more help that comes. You are terminal, nothing we do will help you, so we need to like allocate our effort and resources to those who are serious and in critical condition because we can actually make a difference there. Like it works well for efficiency in treatment, but one thing I've learned about following Jesus is 
Jesus is not efficient. Like, <laughs> nothing about following God is efficient. Neither is being made new or being brought from death to life. It's powerful and it changes your life, but it is not, like not efficient. It's very roundabout, at least in my case. Maybe it's been really like efficient and timely for you, but not so much for me. Um, and yet, Jesus doesn't tolerate this kind of approach. There's time for everyone. This woman has interrupted Jesus on the way to something urgent for someone really important. And Jesus doesn't see it as an interruption. He takes time to see every and all human need along the way. Um, and I think that's, that's a place where, where we can definitely grow. Like, this isn't a distraction. Jesus takes time to see her, acknowledge her, and have an intimate moment with her. There's nothing so important that it should distract us from noticing the real human need along the way. Um, there's enough of God's grace for everyone. Just because Jesus says, uh, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, doesn't mean that there's a new ranking system where somebody else still gets cut out. Like, no, nobody gets cut out. There's time, there's grace, there's power, there's healing, there's new life for everyone. So if this is offered to everyone, the point here is, I think in the story, the point is uh, to ask, to approach Jesus, to come forward, to leave the space of the onlooking crowd and move into being in touch with Jesus. Uh, this is a super tactile, touchy, handsy passage. Everyone's touching everyone. Everyone's asking Jesus to come put hands on the daughter, or if I just touch him, I'll be made whole. And I think that this is... Um, an invitation to being intimately and deeply in touch with Jesus. Uh, this is the point, I think, of, of everything. I think we can see this um, if we back up to the story of the woman again really quick, that um, it, it doesn't come across so well in the English translations, but um, when she touches his robe, the word for healing just means she stops being sick but she's not made whole or healed or rescued or saved until Jesus says, your faith has healed you. They're like used a little bit differently, which says to me that it's not so much about the like physical cure as it is about the encounter with Jesus. It's about being in touch with Jesus, about creating that, that connection there. Um, so we experience the power of Jesus and the kingdom of God when we're in touch with Jesus. We're healed and resurrected by being in touch with Jesus. Um, we're called to seek this. Um, and until we've touched Jesus or like had Jesus reach out and touch us, only then will we be brought from death into life. Um, as I kind of wrap up some of these spaces where we've paused to take some reflections, I want us to ask together, where are you being invited to be in touch with Jesus? Where are you being invited to be in touch with Jesus? As you think about that, I want to leave you with a thought from N.T. Wright, who says, when life, is crowd, when life crowds in with all its storms and pressures, there is still room for us to go directly to Jesus or creep up behind him if that's all we feel we can do and reach out and touch him in that odd mixture of fear and faith that characterizes so much of Christian discipleship. As I've been studying this passage, I've been meditating on this prayer by Walter Brueggemann. It goes like this. But you are the God who opens all shutdowns. By your power, you give futures. By your goodness, you give hope. By your mercy, you make new. So we bid you this day to come to our shutdown places and give birth anew. Um, I want us to like, think about the questions that we've already asked. Where do you long to be experiencing the power of Jesus? Um, where do you 
where are you afraid to approach Jesus? Um, where do you need Jesus to go with you? Where do you need Jesus to reach out and take you by the hand? And where are you being invited to be in touch with Jesus? Um, as we think about those things, and as we pray these words of Walter Brueggemann, you are the God who opens all shutdowns. So come to our shutdown places and give life anew. Um, as I invite the band back up, I want us to think a little bit more about what that means in relation to Iceland. I know I opened with it super random, but uh, if we think a little bit about what it means to really seriously pray these words for God to open up our shutdown places, I imagine it's got to feel a little bit like Iceland being pulled apart, like literally ripped apart. If God is opening that's something that's been shut down, I imagine it's got to feel a little bit like that. But in that space where Iceland is being pulled apart, they're also growing. Um, so I, th- I think I've found myself recently in these places where something I thought had been shut down is being opened up in a new way, or God is bringing life to places I thought that were dead. Um, and in those places where I feel like I'm being pulled apart and it's hard, I've noticed that I'm growing also, that... Um, and it's been beautiful, too. I have some photos of Iceland that I think have been up on the screen. Um, this is along the Mid-Atlantic Rift, like that like valley straight through the center of Iceland that's literally being stretched apart. The beauty here is incredible. It's like extremely, extremely beautiful in the space of pulled apart yet growing. Um, and that's my prayer for, for myself and for us today, that in the midst of being pulled apart, we can also see the beauty of the growth that is happening too. In the middle of being pulled apart, we remain deeply in touch with Jesus and find that he has given us new life. Um, let's pray as we close. God, sometimes it feels like we're being ripped apart and we need you to spring up within us today to open up our shutdown places and fill us with your saving grace and healing power. Give us the faith to come close, to come right up to you and receive the new life you offer. It's in your name we pray. Amen.